Gracious God, sometimes we have given up hoping for change. As we turn now to your word, may the word read and proclaimed be pleasing in your sight. May it give your people gathered here a vision and courage to actively wait for the coming of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I forgot to dismiss the kids, the teenagers. Our scripture passage today comes from Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist, or the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, is at hand. That's how close it is. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. You know, there's such a thing as cueing theory. Q-U-E-U-E-I-N-G. You ever heard of it? Cueing theory, it's the mathematical study of waiting in lines. It's really a whole field. Here's some of the things that they can tell us. Americans wait, on average, 32 minutes to see a doctor. 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready. No, no looking at each other. Annually, 13 hours on hold for customer service. Annually, 38 hours in traffic, but if you're from a big city, 50 or more. The average American spends five years waiting in their lifetime. Now, the curing theory people have discovered, it's not so much the waiting that gets people, uh, you know, worked up. It's the uncertainty and the anxiety. And so they do things like they tell you it's going to be 45 minutes 
before you get your dinner, but it's really only 25, and then you're happy. But that certainty of an end point. They also seek to distract you. I used to think that like all the bubble gum and magazines and everything as you check out was just so you'd buy it. True, probably, but the queue people, the queuing theory people tell us, it's really important to put it there because people are less anxious about waiting. This is why Disney, you know, you wait five hours for a 30-second ride, but they have distractions all along the way. This is what consumer studies have shown us. And if we're not careful, and if we're not conscious, we can fall into the same pattern when waiting for more important things. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping will change? What did you think of? Maybe underneath all of our longing for change, if you could peel all the layers of the onion away, what you might find is that what we're longing for more than anything is for the coming of the peaceable kingdom of God. The world where we will celebrate today that vision of people coming from north, west, east, and south, and we're at table together like a family that loves one another, that cares about the needs of each person at the table. Maybe our deepest longing is to have that kind of connection with the God who loves us all, who calls us to love each other. But we're waiting for that. And it's so easy to fall into that passive mode of waiting that we've learned as consumers to distract ourselves with busyness, with buying, with endless, mindless entertainment. I'm guilty. I like distractions. One of my favorite cartoons, and I think it's my favorite because it reminds me of my own human capacity to be full of contradictions. If you could put it up here, I, I years ago cut it out, I mean many, many years ago, it's frayed. And uh, so this is a woman in a car with a bumper sticker that says, peace begins with me. And she's throwing her high-heeled shoe at the car next to her. And the caption is, Connie is a mass of contradictions. Aren't we all Connie in some way? The human capacity to be full of contradictions is nowhere more evident than when it comes to the subject of wanting change. Peace begins with me, but no telling how I might act if I get provoked. John the baptizer is in all the Gospels. In Mark and John, 
He's in the very first chapter, that voice crying in the wilderness. That is a passage, that is an allusion back to Isaiah. If you want to read a beautiful vision of God's kingdom and God's coming, read Isaiah 40. God comes like a, a shepherd who carries his lambs close to his heart. We don't know how John the Baptist ended up in a uh, aesthetic sect where he was living in the wilderness. We don't know. According to Luke's gospel, he's born into the, a family of priests. Why didn't he become a priest? Was it because of his own religious convictions that he left and went into the wilderness? He was born to very, very old parents who didn't think they could have children. Did they die and he became an orphan and ended up with this community in the wilderness? We don't know. But what we know is that John the Baptist was waiting for things to change. He was tired of religion as usual. He was tired of religion as rote practice with no meaning. He was tired of religious leaders who used the religious establishment to distract people from actually bearing the fruit of a changed life. And he wanted all that to change. And he called people to participate in that change. To wait actively with him. And John the Baptist, you could say, is a case study in change theory. I just love when I see these truths that we read about in ancient scripture, and then you see them in other places. So I just want to tell you a little bit. Uh, let's put up, this is, uh, maybe you can't really see this, Lewin's change theory. Uh, Lewin was in the 1990s, came up with a theory of change, and he said the first step is you have to unfreeze. You have to break up the status quo. Uh, in the picture, which you cannot see, it's an ice cube. The second picture is where the, the uh, you, it's just a blob of water. The structures are gone. That's where people get really anxious. And then Lewin says, you refreeze in new structures. And then the process starts all over again. Another way of thinking about it um, is a theory called theory U. See, we tend to think change, we need to get from point A to point B, it's a straight line. But it's never a straight line, says Otto Scharmer. For, let's put up the next one. Change happens in a U. You don't go from A to B in a straight line, you go down. There's a letting go, same as unfreezing. It's what John the Baptist calls repent and confess. It's the first step, and in the bottom of the U is where that ice is all melted, there's no structure, it's, it's frightening at the bottom of the U. It can be very anxiety-producing. But John the Baptist says, come, confess. Come through that period before we see what we are called to and how we are called to participate in the coming of the kingdom. 
Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament professor who kind of applied this to what we read in the Psalms. Let's put up the next one. He calls it orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Our lives are oriented towards God and everything's good, and then boom, there's a disruption. We recognize something's not right, and then there's this period of disorientation. It can be very unnerving. And then we become reoriented, and the cycle begins again, because we are always being changed from glory into glory. But that middle part, that unfreezing, that, that unstructured place, that bottom of the U, that disorientation, that is a difficult place to be, but John the Baptist says that's where change begins. Come participate in the coming of the kingdom. Repent. Go beyond what your mind, just your mind. Come with your heart, your soul, and confess your sin, your brokenness. You know, sin, I wish we could sometimes, I, I, I'm kind of caught in my own, um, my own inner debate around a lot of Christian words. Some of them have become so distorted that you kind of wonder, should you just kind of throw them away and use new ones? Because they point to a reality bigger than the word. Or do you upcycle them? Sin is one of those words. For example, I was at a party last night and a woman's telling a story and she said a bad word. And everybody, whenever they do that, they look at me. <laughs> like, that's the, like, that's a big sin. We've reduced sin to these very small things. I want to say, hey, listen, what I really care about is, how do you treat the vulnerable? You're telling a story. It's okay. But do you love your neighbor? All of them? Even the ones who don't think and look like you? Because that's what I'd really want to talk about. Years ago, I heard Tony Campolo speak. Some, some of you may remember him. He was an evangelical figure. And he really, it got on his heart that hunger in the world needed to change. We shouldn't have any hungry people in this world with so much. He was speaking to a bunch of ministers, and he said, you all don't give up about those starving children. And the room completely tightened up. And he said, and you know what? You care more about the fact that I just said than you do about those children. John the Baptist is calling us to a deep confession, a deep confession about the ways in which we have abdicated our calling to participate in the change 
this world needs in the coming of the kingdom of love and justice. That's what John the Baptist is waiting for. He's waiting for that change, and he's calling people to come wait actively with him, not passively, not to be distracted by religious practices that just keep us in an endless numbing mind cycle and don't ever break us out to become the instruments of God's love and mercy and grace and goodness and forgiveness for all people in this world. That's John the Baptist's invitation. Waiting for change, for things to change with John the Baptist is coming to confession. Not so that you feel bad about yourself, but so that you can unfreeze and let go and embrace your unique call to be part of the change that you long for. That's the call of John the Baptist. What did you hope for? What did you, what went through your mind? You don't have to, I'm not, that's rhetorical. But I hope you'll talk to each other about it this week or email someone on the staff. What was the change that you are waiting for? Or the changes? John invites us this week in relation to that change that you are waiting for, simply to go to God in confession to stay in that place where the structures have melted and wait. Wait until the part you need to play is revealed. I think it's so sad sometimes when I hear people say, you know, I want this or that to change, but I just have to have faith or I'm hoping. And those are really code for, I'm not gonna do anything. I don't see myself as complicit or part of the problem. I'm just gonna stay over here in my safe little ice cube. But John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. The kingdom is at hand. It's coming. You have a part to play in it. Confess. That's where it starts. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do confess that for all of us, there's the Connie syndrome in our lives. Peace begins with me, and yet I am not a peacemaker in my realm of influence. This week, may we have the courage to come to you in confession about the changes that we are waiting for. And by your Holy Spirit, unfreeze our hardened hearts, 
hardened with apathy. Help us to let go of our defensiveness and remind us that that disorienting feeling is the precursor to being reoriented to the values of your kingdom and the gifts that we bring to change this world so that your kingdom will come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. <laughs>